welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and this is episode number 77, Understanding IEPs and 504s. Welcome to this special podcast series called New Teacher Jumpstart. Today, we're going to be talking about understanding IEPs and 504s, which if I'm going to be honest, was probably one of the things that was the most daunting for me as a new teacher. We have a very special guest, and I want to get right to it. Before we do, I just want to remind you to save the date of October 3rd for Fall Teacher Reboot. There are going to be instructions coming soon of how to get registered for that event. Again, it's going to be free. It's going to be online. It's going to be one day only, so make sure you save the date for October 3rd. Let's get started with understanding 504s and IEPs. So we are going to be talking today about IEPs and 504s and students who get um, special services through school. And so I want to frame this with first welcoming our guest today, Allie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Allie, let's start off by you telling us a little bit about who you are and your history and why you are so qualified to talk about this topic. Sure. Well, um... In 2010, I graduated with my undergrad degree with um, in special education, which here in Illinois, that gives me a pretty wide range. So I can teach basically all disability categories except for deaf, hard of hearing and blind, visually impaired for students who are kindergarten through age 21. So I had a lot of specific training in just my undergrad. And then after being in the classroom for a few years, I went back and got my master's degree um, also in special education, which made me what's called a multiple disability specialist. So I have quite a bit of training and then about 10 years of experience in the classroom and some experience with instructional coaching and consulting on the special ed level. Um, I run the social media platform Misbehavior, where I talk a lot about behavior because that's actually my passion point when it comes to special ed. But um, yeah, I love all things special ed. I like to nerd out on all that good stuff. So that's what kind of makes me a supposed expert, I guess. Well, I think some of the most attractive people in the world are the people that nerd out and really know a lot about one topic. So I'm so glad you're here. I also have to give you a shout out for being an incredible part of Educators to Educators. Allie helps us recruit presenters for the ETW conferences, and she just did an amazing job for the conference we just had in July. Um, and so Allie, I want to start off by talking about my first year of teaching. And so I started teaching in 2005 and I was a career changer. So I had been working out and uh, I worked for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and then I went back to school to become a teacher. And so it was a quick career change master's program. And so I'm sure I missed out on some training, but I will say in the area of special education, I think I took like one course maybe, and I was very unprepared. And I remember going, I taught in Chicago Public Schools. I had a class of 32 fifth graders, which is a very big class. And I, back then, nothing was on the computer. So everything was in like a cumulative folder that you got that followed the kid grade to grade. 
And every year you get your students. And I don't know why as a first year teacher, but they maxed out my like 30% of students that could have an IEP or a 504. So I had a lot in my, um, my classroom. So about January, the school social worker comes into my classroom and says, I need to pull blah, 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 the student for, for social work services. And I was like, hi, I'm Carrie Conover. You are like, I'd never seen this person before. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I need to pull blah, blah, blah for their 504, like um, social work minutes. And I was like, that student doesn't have a 504. And they're like, yes, she does. Or yes, he does. I'm like, no. So we went and pulled out this, mind you, like two inch, you know, thick folder. Oh no. And way in the back stuck to other papers was a 504 that I didn't know about for the worst feeling ever. (laughs) I felt like a horrible human being, but I also was like, wait a second. Like, how am I the only person? Like, how did the parents, how did the principal, where's the social worker been for three months? Like, how am I the only person that was supposed to find this piece of paper stuck to the back of a, a file folder, you know? Sure. I mean, talk about a great lesson. Thank God it was like, you know, uh, he didn't get a lot of minutes and thank God it wasn't like a huge IEP that I totally missed out on. But I, I think from that point forward, I was very thorough about not only checking all those cumulative folders, but going to our, um, assistant principal always, or the school counselor to be like, can you double check to make sure my, my students don't get, you know, services. So anyway, I tell that story because I think it is so intimidating as a new teacher when you start looking at a stack of IEPs and 504s to even know how to get organized and make sure that you're frankly following the law. So let's start there. You're a new teacher. You're getting your classroom. You're getting your class roster. Where should a general teacher begin in getting organized? Right. I mean, it is daunting. And a lot of those documents feel very jargony, even if you are the person who's writing them, right? Yes. Like <laughs> if you're a special ed teacher, especially if you're new and you're starting to really like kind of get into it, like, yeah, I did all this training, but I haven't really done anything in practice yet. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's intimidating because you know, it's all held by law. So it's scary. You know, what if I forget something? What if an accommodation doesn't get made that was supposed to, or, you know, I didn't know about the social worker, you know, like the story you just told, it's a lot. So from the beginning, a good just practice to start holding on to is going through each student's, whatever their QM folder might look like, which is, I know Carrie and I actually taught in the same school district at different times, but that's the dreaded QM folder, the cumulative, <laughs> cumulative folder. Um, but a lot of times, obviously now it's digital, but looking through students' files, making sure that you're looking, it could be even something as as basic as a nursing file to know that the student takes medication or has asthma or um, anything like allergy. that. Yes. I mean, things that are, are, they're essential that you know that, you know, the kiddos lactose intolerance. So like if you have a pizza party, be aware, you know, these things that you just want to know about for just your own, um, your, just your own knowledge. And some of these things are going to be big things. Like this student has an IEP, this student has a 504 plan, or this student does have a pretty significant allergy. Um, 
we want to know these things. Other information in those folders could be there's a restraining order against someone in the student's life and you need to know that like this person can't come pick them up from school. You yeah. know, there, there's some, you know, big safety concerns in some of these aspects too. So making sure that you know what that file is. And if you don't know how to access your student's files, that's where you start. You go to that secretary at the front desk and you say, hey, I need you be my ally, how do I get my students information? So making sure that you have access to those things right away and dive in. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go through and comb through their entire IEP before you meet them, but it does mean make sure you have access to those documents and you know exactly where they are so you can hit those, you know, those big pieces, at least knowing what kiddos in your classroom have what documents attached to them is super important. Well, and I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about in, in the previous episode that it is so tempting as a new teacher to focus on the aesthetics of your classroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Before you put up that extra special bulletin board, you need to prioritize this. Like, this should be a huge priority. And I think the thing that shocked me a little bit, and this is me being a little naive, is I thought, I'm just kind of surprised that the parents of these students were being more proactive, like, hey, my kid has a peanut allergy or, hey, my kid has an IEP. And I think there's a lot of reasons why a parent might not do that. And I was surprised by that, that they were yes. more proactive. That's so true. Um, but like, really, this is, this is like one, this should be a top five priority and way more of a priority than making your room cute. Absolutely. Yeah. You can skip the, the color coded nameplates and stuff at first. And, and if you have extra time, go ahead and do those kinds of things to make your classroom look warm and like a place that, that you want to be in too. Um, if that kind of stuff brings you joy, but make sure that this kind of stuff is done first. I totally agree. Super yeah. important. So you have a stack of IEPs. Well, first of all, let's just baseline this here. What's the difference between an IEP and a 504? Sure. So when you have a student that has an identified disability, so according to IDEA, which is the or Illinois, the um, Individuals with Disability Education Act, I'm getting stuck <laughs> in my own state here, um, and so that's a, that's a federal law, IDEA, and so they have identified 13 disability category areas. So if a student fits into one of those disability categories, they're going to have an IEP. Can you give it, us a couple of examples of what sure. those are? Uh, yeah, so that could be a learning disability, autism, a physical disability, an intellectual disability. So those are examples of, you know, places that students okay. will fall into. The ones that you're going to see most commonly are going to be learning disability or emotional disability, sometimes a speech-language disability. Some of the other ones are a little bit more nuanced and students might have you know, less minutes in a general education classroom, more special ed minutes, but those are some examples of, you know, students that you might see in your classrooms. Okay. If you have a kiddo that falls into one of those categories, they're going to get an IEP. They're going to have special ed services. So an IEP Perfect. means that the student is going to be seen by a special education teacher. Unless they're only receiving speech services, then it would be a speech language pathologist only. But um, they'll, they'll have an IEP. Students who do not fit into those uh, 13 disability categories, they, they don't fall into those, they will have a 504 plan. So that could be students that they have ADHD, they um, have anxiety, a student that maybe has really significant asthma, 
So there's a, a variety of reasons why a student might have a 504 plan. And the reason why it's called a 504 is actually it's section 504 of a standardized document. So it's kind of an awkward name, right? 504 plan, what does that even mean? But that's what it is. It's just um, kind of, it's another piece of the awkward jargon that comes with education, right? But um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so someone comes up with a plan and honestly, that's actually generally not a special education teacher. Um, sometimes it's an administrator, a school counselor, you know, the assistant principal, somebody kind of oversees that and um, the student's going to get some accommodations. So let's say they have asthma, they might need, you know, a special time to go down to the nurse's office to get checked or to take their inhaler. A student that maybe has um, maybe a slight physical disability that doesn't really affect their education, they might need extra time to transition between classes in middle school, um, things like that. So, so what about for ADHD? They could have extended time for testing. With yeah, that the they might. Form? Yeah, they might also like have a different um, uh, proximity to a teacher or uh, specialized seating, things like that. They also might have like extra time in the hallway, you know, an extra set of books for home, an extra set of books, you know, for school, things like that. Um, they just a few accommodations, but okay. they wouldn't qualify for an IEP because they don't need specialized services for their actual education, if that makes sense. Perfect. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So I'm a new teacher. I've got my files, whether they're electronic or paper, I'm sitting down and, um, now the way I used to do it is I would actually physically pull out every IEP and 504 and kind of make myself a stack knowing that that needed to immediately go back in those files, but I would kind of put them all together. Mm -hmm. um, and I had my way of doing it, but I would love to hear what you think is the best approach besides, as you said, sitting down and read, because some of those are very large. So you're not going to sit oh, yeah. and read every single thing. Of course. And some of it doesn't apply to every single person in the school, right? Like the IEP isn't necessarily written for every single person. It's written as this comprehensive document for the entire school year, right? It's not saying, hey, general education teacher, you need to follow every single thing in here. While it's important you know what the student is receiving, some of it just simply isn't going to apply to you. So my recommendation would be to create an IEP or 504 snapshot for each of the students that you have in your classroom that has one of those documents. So what that would look like is just creating a really quick format that lists the things that you know that you would need to know about those students in your classroom that would be in that document. So right now you might be thinking, well, I don't even know what I need to know. So that could be something that you work with your special education teacher on kind of creating like what they feel like is important for you to know, because that's going to be different depending on the student in your classroom, how long they spend with you, if it's co-taught, so many, you know, factors that would play into that, but yeah. then you can just have this simple template for each student. You just take that information, plug it in. And while that might take a little bit of extra time at the forefront, some like, you know, front loading at the beginning of the year or before school starts, but then you have that for the remainder of the time that they're using that IEP, right? or that 504 plan, you're going to have that information right there. So you can kind of dig in and say, okay, I'm about to give a test. What accommodations does the student need? And you have that information right there. You're not going to have to pull out that IEP or pull it up online and dig through it and try to find that information. You've got it right there. So you're not going to have to pull out an IEP or a 504 and dig through it 
before, you know, uh, every quiz or every test or, you know, anytime that you have some kind of assignment for them to look for that accommodation, you're going to have it right there in that snapshot. It's going to make it so much easier for you. Well, and I think what's important is that when you're building out this snapshot that you're looking at the right thing. So you're going to want to look and see first and foremost, why do they have the IEP? Um, Absolutely. Why did they qualify for it? And then you're going to really want to dive into um, their minutes. I think that's the, like the two things, like if, if you're going to do anything at all, you're going to want to know those two things. And um, luckily, you know, you're going to have a special education teacher that's going to pair up with you and help you through this. And hopefully you have an amazing one. Um, I'm actually looking through right now, go back and listen to um, E2E episode number 20. Uh, it's, it's actually episode number 16. And it's co-teaching with a diverse learning teacher. And I sit down with the diverse learning teacher that I worked with for many years. She was in my classroom usually about half the day. And we talk through why we work so well together. Go listen to that one if you're going to be working with as a co- in a co-teacher situation. But um, independently, like you're going to want to know the minutes. Um, the one thing I will say too, is that with those 504s, you're going to want to really comb through, right, Allie, and look for anything that's life-threatening, like those peanut allergies, absolutely seizure disorders or anything like that, that Mm -hmm. you are going to want to know day one in your classroom. Yes. And then you're going to, you know, be able to set up those precautionary pieces and you're going to feel so much more prepared. Like just knowing that information, having those pieces up at the beginning of the year before school even starts, rather than being in a carry situation where it's suddenly like, oh, wait, this student's suddenly saying that they're allergic to bees. I, what? We're all going out to recess. I didn't know, right? You don't want to be the teacher in that position. If you are able to go through all those important documents beforehand, you're not going to have those surprises. Well, and you obviously then can, if, you know, I was talking with Kristen Harris about relationships with parents. What a great way to just call up and say, hi, I know school hasn't started yet. This is Mrs. Conover. I saw that Allie has a peanut allergy. Just wanted to give you a call and have you talk me through any of your concerns, how things have gone in the past and open up that door. And that parent who already has an extra level of stress in their life every day, knowing their kid has an allergy or you know, anything, um, takes a medication or whatever. You're just like really bridging that gap and showing that you are caring and open, open-minded, frankly. Absolutely. I think that that is so important. Parents just, they need us to be their ally in that and to not feel like they are their only, um, advocate for their student, you know, or for their child, you know, that you too are thinking of their, you know, their safety and you want to make sure that, um, that you know everything that needs to be known about that kiddo before school even begins. And I think framing your first days of school around those students who do need extra supports um, is going to make a good experience for every student in your class, right? So if you're planning activities kind of with an idea of knowing, okay, here are my students that do need those extra supports, and you put those extra supports in place. Um, Heather Campbell says this a lot, like, What's good for some students is usually good for all students. That is so true. Totally. I mean, I could not agree more. If you have a student that you know is going to respond really well to visuals because their IEP says that that's an accommodation that they need, 
guess what? You're probably going to have another student that's really going to respond well to visuals. And that's awesome, right? Like just have those up in the classroom. Perfect. I think what's, um, you know, back to my point of not knowing that 504 there is there, you know, I'm, I'm slowly forgiving myself 15 years later for that. Um, (laughs) Everybody was okay. Um, it is intimidating. And I think in this area is one area you cannot be afraid to ask for help and ask questions because it's legitimately the law. So make sure that you, you know, as you said, you know, prioritize this and, I want to talk about going back to those IEPs because I think you do this snapshot. You give yourself some a few weeks to get into the groove, get your schedule going and everything. I did find a lot of value going back and actually um, reading their IEP. So can you talk a little bit about the cycle that IEPs go on yearly and then every three years? Sure. So... Every student that has an IEP is going to have an annual meeting. So every year their IEP is just going to be reviewed. It's going to be going through updating the goals, making sure their present levels of performance, which is on that front page of an IEP are up to date. What are the students' strengths? What do they still have to work on? Updated data, things like that. So all of those things are going to be considered at a yearly meeting. Then every three years, the student has a three-year reevaluation. So that is when the team, the IEP team, determines if the student still qualifies for special education. Because there's going to be some students that you realize after three years, they don't really need special education services anymore, right? And there's going to be some students that will have an IEP for the remainder of their time that they're in school. So it really depends on the student. But every three years, it will be reevaluated, and they're going to get updates from a school psych and any related service provider that sees the student, like a speech pathologist or an occupational therapist, and they kind of just review everything. So every year they have a meeting, but the big one is every three years. And I mean, being a parent of kids, like when I think about how much my kids change every like honestly, three months, Um, (laughs) three year ones are obviously extremely, extremely important. Um, But I'm glad they have those annuals as a check in. So just to clarify, there's a a meeting every year. It's an annual, the team comes together, it's just a check in usually with the parents, okay, signing off, everything looks good. The three years, like your big reevaluation where you're retesting everything to make sure the student one still needs the IEP and to see if there's any major adjustments that need to happen. Absolutely. You got it. Now, can a, can a student have an IEP and a 504? They cannot. So a student who has an IEP, but then maybe also has some needs that would qualify, you might think for a 504, like let's say we've got a student that has a learning disability and they also have really significant asthma. Well, then they're going to have what's called a nursing plan in their IEP. If a student has a learning disability and ADHD, well, then they're just going to qualify for a learning disability. And then we're going to talk about those needs that ADHD kind of creates for them in their IEP, if that makes sense. A 504 plan is for students that don't necessarily qualify under a disability category, but still need supports for something. Perfect. So um, going back to the IEPs, I know for me, um, I think about one student I, that I had that had some, um, and I, I always, when I speak of prior students, try to stay very anonymous, but had um, some medical, um, pretty severe medical things going on and um, other identified um, learning disabilities. And I remember going back and re 
uh, visiting that student's IEP. And within the social work report was some very significant and important information that helped frame um, for me, like the student's um, father was actually incarcerated. And so for me, there were some details in there that really helped me understand the situation at home um, that I could be a better support, frankly, to that single mom and to understand everything that she was going through. And that way, when I had a conversation with her, um, it was a really meaningful conversation. And I was able to just say that I was able to get that context. And I don't know, it just kind of created a bond with us that I had taken the time to understand not only did the student have um, some medical things going on, but, you know, some tough stuff going on at home as well. Yeah, the IEP is I mean, it's really comprehensive. It's going to tell you a ton about the student. So while at the beginning of the year, it's super daunting. Let's say you've got five pretty comprehensive IEPs in your classroom that like, you know, students that are have these big documents, right? It's a lot. Um, at the beginning, you don't necessarily need to read that whole thing. But like you said earlier, Carrie, going back and being able to take the time, maybe you know, one afternoon a week for a month, you pull out an IEP and just really read it. It's going to give you a ton of information that I really can't see you regretting finding out. I love that. I can't see you regretting finding out. That's awesome. That's a great way to put it. Um, and I think the, the last thing I really want to talk, well, two last things, I two things I want to talk about before we go, Allie. <laughs> One being is a trend that I think really started to change in my first couple of years of teaching and then was really in full force uh, by the time I left the classroom is that the, a lot of like laws change. I know specifically here in Illinois, but across, across the country of like the maximum amount of students that you could have. So I think in Illinois, it's 30% of your students within your class can have an IEP. Is that still correct? Um, yes, that is true in Illinois, and each state is going to kind of vary, and quite honestly, it's between districts. Just because a state has a certain requirement doesn't necessarily mean that the district is going to follow that. The district could have a less, their requirement might be less, if that makes sense. They're never going to be able to say, like, more than what the state um, has their cap at, but they might be able to make that less, and it just sort of depends on the needs of the district and what they kind of want their classes to look like, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're, um, you broke up a little bit there, Allie. I'm in a, I know I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that we were having a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. So everyone bear with us, but Allie, what I heard you say is the law can say 30%, but the district could go lower than that. They just can't go above that. Exactly. That the district could be like, Oh, we're going to say 25. Right. Yep. Well, what happens because of these laws, uh, what happened, and it happened to me because I was a strong general ed teacher and I worked well with other teachers, I usually became almost like the classroom with all the IEPs. So they would always max that out. And it wasn't because they felt like other teachers weren't strong. They were in some ways trying to save money because they wanted to have to hire less special ed teachers. Um, to be frank, it was Chicago Public Schools. Like, it's a big urban district, right? And so right. they're stretching every dollar. But so they would usually max that out for me so that then, and it made sense. Then the co-teacher could be in my room um, servicing more than stu one student at a time. But sure. So just, you know, I really encourage you, if you're in a situation and you're a new teacher where you are seeing that you have three, four, five IEPs and you the special teacher is going to be in your classroom co-teaching a lot, Go listen to that episode I mentioned earlier because we give you a lot of tips on how to how to work together um, and create a really cohesive classroom. But 
So the, the thing I wanted to end on is that if you have a student in your classroom that does not have a 504 or does not have an IEP, which happened to me, this happened to me quite a bit too, where I knew that there were some things going on there and potentially some type of a learning disability. Where do you begin as a teacher documenting this? What do you do? Do you talk to the parents? How, how do you go about this if you have a feeling that the student might need some extra services? Sure. So what I would do is make sure that you've got some data to support what you're what you're seeing, right? You've got some anecdotals, you've got some observations, you've got some data that's academic or, you know, some um, anecdotal data that supports some behavioral needs that you've been seeing and have the special education teacher come observe, have them come in and see kind of what's going on in the room and, you know, clue them in, you know, you gotta, you gotta let them into what you're seeing and make sure that what you are what you're advocating for is for the absolute best needs of the student. You might have some students in your classroom that are really quite a handful, but being a handful doesn't necessarily mean that they have, you know, an extenuating need, right? It could just be this kiddo's a little bit of a handful and they might need some extra attention, right? But you've got that kid's best interest at mind and you're wanting someone to come in and kind of see what you're seeing. So once you include the special education teacher in, they're gonna kind of pull you into their process. That's gonna look a little different between each district, but they're gonna pull you in and they're gonna clue you in and you're gonna be an involved member of that IEP team moving forward if that's kind of the direction that this is gonna go. And I think the behavior stuff sticks out pretty quickly, like it's gonna jump out at you. The things that I think can kind of linger on and are harder to detect are when it's a reading disability or you know, something else going on, it's going to take you as a while as a teacher to like dig a little deeper into that. And I just want to say like, I think I remember um, feeling guilty sometimes that I hadn't uncovered things like that earlier. And I just want you to remember, especially if you're teaching intermediate middle school, or even high school, that there have been other teachers that have missed that along the way too. Yes. Um, not your sole responsibility to find every underlying thing going on in kids. And I used to feel guilty. Um, and a lot of times at the end, I felt proud, like, okay, well, this student's now getting what they wanted, but just don't let that make you feel bad if you do kind of figure that out halfway through the year or towards the end of the year. And quite honestly, we want to make sure that you have all the data to show that the student really does need those supports and they don't just need like small group instruction, right? Right. A, a disability is a big thing. And so we want it to be an actual disability before we just call it that. So if it does take you a while, it's kind of supposed to, right? You want to make yep. sure that you're actually pinpointing something that is what you think it is and not just an inkling, right? Absolutely. Yep. Well, Allie, this has been super helpful. This whole time we've been talking, I'm like, man, I really wish someone would have given me this podcast my first year. <laughs> I know, um, I know. <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking about how this is the law. It is important, but there are so many resources within your district and building and even within the E2E community um, that if you need help or you need support, reach out and ask the questions. One of the worst things you can do when it comes to IEPs and 504s is just kind of like not asking the questions and sweeping right. it under the rug. So yeah. 
you know, reach out and ask, um, and make sure you're following Allie on Instagram and her watching, you know, following her social media, because I have learned so much from you. You're so wise. Well, thanks, Carrie. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. And I know we'll be hearing from you again. Definitely. This is a passion point. So I love talking about special ed and any way that I can support new teachers in kind of navigating this tricky part of the education world. I'm happy to. Well, you're the best. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Educators to Educators. I know this is a trying time for teachers and I just want to remind you more than ever, keep on teaching on.